Well, good morning, everyone. Good, good to see you. I need the glasses to read, but um, they're here much more clear now. Um, this uh, is an exciting weekend for, for Tracy and I, um, because last night we watched Death on the Nile. The, yeah, and, and Tracy worked out who the murderer was. So, and she's really, really chuffed about. It. I didn't like so I thought it was Pyro. I thought he just got bored and started bumping everyone off, you know, see if they could guess it was him. But no, she worked it, and she worked it out within 10 minutes. So there we go. Um, and I am going to preach to you this morning. I did say to Stephen I wanted to take the opportunity to say some thank yous because it's been, been a while since I've, uh, I've been here and it'll be the last time that I'll, that I'll be here. As you know, we're off to Wales. So I don't want to be self-indulgent, but please forgive me if I am a little bit because I want to just take the opportunity to say some thank yous. Um, some of you probably know my story, will know that my 16 years at Herne Bay have not always been the easiest, and I've been through some pretty horrendously difficult times with my mental health, and essentially with the breakup of my, my family and my, and my first marriage, and uh, those were very dark and difficult times for me, and particularly in the midst of my depression, which was very deep, um, and very dysfunctional. Uh, I wasn't really even able to pray or read the Bible. Um, and I can remember going for a very long walk uh, with my dog and in the middle of the woods somewhere, just sitting down. And the only prayer that I could manage was, please, God, don't let it end like this. Please, God, don't let it end like this. And so I hope, if anything, my life is a testimony to the fact that with the grace of God, it doesn't end like that. But I want to say thank you this morning to some of the people that God used to get me through those uh, very difficult and dark times. And particularly, I'll say a big thank you to John, John Way, and to, to Steve Dunn. Um, John is one of those figures, I would like to be like him when I get to his age. If I ever manage to get to his age, that will be, given my health, that will be quite an achievement. Uh, but John's faithfulness to the church, but his faithfulness to the, the scriptures and the faith is exemplary. Um, and, and I'm sure John has got faults. Joe will let us have a list afterwards. But I've always found him to be a compassionate and godly man. And I just want to thank you for all the help that you gave to me. And I particularly used to benefit from, I only got to hear John preach about maybe three or four times. As a pastor... I felt John's level of Bible teaching fed my soul as a pastor. And I, I don't often get that, so I want to commend you for that and say thank you. And to Steve, you know, only you know some of the things that went on during that very difficult time. But what possibly people don't know was that I had a little group around me that sort of covenanted together to take it in turns to be there for me. So... Each day of the week, there was a, like a different one of them that was available on the end of the, of the phone if I needed to ring or text or whatever. And uh, Steve was one of those that was on the rotor. And the number of times I must have texted him or phoned him, uh, just not just at the end of my tether, but I really wasn't very... I mean, you know, some, you heard that expression, away with the fairies? I'd moved in with them. That's what I've, you know... And I used to message Steve the most bizarre things, and goodness knows what he, he must have thought when he got some of them. And the one I always remember was texting him on one occasion, saying, Steve, I think I'm dying. 
And he texted back and said, Darren, I just want you to know I will be there at the funeral. So, <laughs> but uh, just wanted to say thank you, Steve, uh, for being there for me at some of my darkest times. And also uh, to thank you as a church, because in the, this is my final little story. One of the early times when I came to preach, I think it was during the summer, I turned up in, I think, a T-shirt and shorts or something, um, and, and Tracy was sitting in the church, and I don't think you'd been, I think you were back, you'd returned to the beacon, hadn't you, after, and hadn't been there that long. And that particular Sunday, I think it was, a, a, she had a friend with her called Alison, and I preached that Sunday, and, and Tracy's first thought was, what on earth is this man turning up to preach in shorts and a T-shirt? But after I preached, and she only told me this some years later, she thought, oh, he's quite nice. And <laughs> said, to, said to Alison, do you fancy going to the Baptist church to, to, to hear him preach a bit? Well, you know how the story ends. So can I say thank you for providing me with my wife? That was very, very gracious of you. The other side of the story is that, is that Alison actually ended up becoming our church administrator and one of my closest friends in the church. And without exaggeration, Alison is the one that pretty much holds, in terms of making sure Herne Bay Baptist Church functions, she pretty much holds it together. So thank you for that as well. So you have sown into the ministry at the Baptist Church in a huge way. Um, so thank you. And then lastly, I also want to thank Bev at the back there. Um, Bev saw me in a, a professional capacity and just was just extraordinarily helpful in helping me to come to terms with some of the things that I was going through. Um, so I owe all these people a great debt that I know I can never repay. So thank you. Right, having said that, let's get to, to the Word of God. And I want to share with you my biggest regret in 16 years of ministry. This is, this is how they were just about to pray for us at, the, at my farewell service at Herne Bay Baptist Church. And I said, look, just before you go, I want to share this with you. I just want to share with you, having been here 16 years, what's my biggest regret in 16 years at ministry? Now, at that point, I think a couple of people held their breath because they weren't sure what was coming next. And I said to them, my biggest regret is this. In 16 years, I have not, I have not taught or motivated the church sufficiently to be a church of prayer. And having now reflected on that a bit longer, I realized, in fact, that was my second biggest regret. Because my, actually my biggest regret is that for 16 years as the pastor, I have not been able to pray. And if the church has struggled to be a praying church, which it has, I mean, Herne Bay Baptist has got many strengths to it, but I think every member there would probably put their hand on their heart and say, we're not really a praying church. If the church has struggled to, to pray, it is perhaps because after 16 years they have become a reflection of their pastor. And for me, this is not some kind of hyper-spiritual, devotional thing, or we need, we need to pray more. This is, to me, is born out of desperate reality. When I look at the state of the nation and the things that are going on now and starting to happen now that 10 years ago I never would have believed would be happening, when I look at the state of the church... We just seem to be being swamped, not just by one tsunami, but by a wave of tsunamis in terms of cultural change and value changes and moral changes and attitudinal changes in society that actually mean that 
for many people, we're the bad guys. We're the ones that are judgmental. We're the ones that are out of date. We're the ones that are sinful. And you just think, how, what, what is, how did this happen? Well, forget how did this happen. How do we respond? And I've got to say, I think the situation is genuinely so desperate that nothing short of a work of God, a miraculous, supernatural work of God to bring revival to the nation, conviction of sin upon the nation, and kind of like conviction of sin upon the church. Because we've now got churches that are openly turning aside from biblical teaching and biblical values. There's a little verse uh, tucked away, I think it's in Corinthians, where Paul says, if judgment is going to begin, it will begin with the house of God. God's, I mean, in a sense, the world's deserted God. Well, that's what the world does, but now we're seeing the churches do it. And I just think we're in a situation when we're not going to go to a conference or buy a book or get a new course that's going to solve this problem. It's way beyond that now. If God doesn't do something, I, I, I genuinely fear for where we will be in another 10 or 15 years' time. And that's what brings me to prayer. When I was interviewed by my folk at, at Hope Baptist, they said to me, kind of, what's your strategy going to be when you come to the church? And I said, I want to be straight with you. We are beyond the situation where having a new strategy will solve the problem. The people of God have got to learn to humble themselves, get on their knees before God, and cry out for God to do something. Because if he doesn't, we're sunk. And so although this is not in any way a, a polished sermon, it's not, what I want to share with you in the time that I have is my own thoughts over the last month since I've left the church, my own thoughts, my own pilgrimage and journey with prayer and where I've got to. Um, and I, I just hope in doing so that not just that you find it interesting or helpful, but that God will spark in your hearts that same sense of desperation, that same sense of, come on, we, we have got, as a church, we have got to get before God and get serious with God about seeing him move in our community and in our nation. So I want to read from Psalm 21, which is where I'm going to start, because this is where my journey began. So Psalm 21. O oh Lord... In your strength, the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. And make him glad with the joy of your presence. And we could go on. There's lots more like that. But when you read that, you think, gosh, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't that... Wouldn't you like that to be true of your prayer life? You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. You meet him with rich blessings. Oh, please, Lord, wouldn't that be great if that was my experience in prayer? But the question I found myself asking as I read this psalm is who is the psalmist talking about? Who is it that God has done all these things for? And the answer is, it's, it's, 
Although the psalm was written by David, it, it's not so much David, that the, the psalm writer that he's speaking about. He's speaking about David as the king. This is God's anointed that this has been done for. In other words, this is actually about the Messiah. This is about Jesus. This is not so much my prayers or your prayers, although we'll come to that. This is the fact that God the Father has honoured the requests of his Son. This is the Father lavishing his blessing and his power and his authority on a thought in my head I'm often coming to God with my request but if this if, and I, I checked the commentaries and every commentary I read said the same thing this is a psalm about Messiah this is a psalm about Jesus so you think okay not just me going off on a loopy one here this is actually what it's about if that's true instead of you know, I'm thinking about I come to God with my request and what I want and all that, what are the requests that Jesus brought to the Father what was it that was on Jesus' heart that he wanted God to do? Because if surely, if I can begin to pray those things, I know God will answer. Are you following the logic here? I, I don't want to, to, to lose people. If, I know, if this psalm is telling me that the things that Jesus asked his father for, the father gave him the desires of his heart. So what are the things that Jesus desires? What are the answers he's looking for? If I can begin to pray those things, I know I'm on solid ground. And then that sparks another thought. Why is it when I read the, the, the prayers of, of Paul in his letters, why is it they are so different from the things that I pray? Now that, that thought has really haunted me. Am I praying a different agenda? I've got my own little prayer list and my own little needs and I want, you know, and I, and I get that and there's probably nothing wrong with that. But am I, am I missing a whole agenda where Jesus wants me to be praying something different? And I reflected on what I often hear on, on things like Premier Christian Radio when they have the prayer time. And almost, and please forgive me, I don't mean this horribly, but almost every time it's, please can you pray for my friend so-and-so who's got cancer? Please can you pray for, for so-and-so who's ill? Please can you pray... And don't get me wrong, if I had cancer, I'd want everyone in the world praying for me. I know that. But I don't remember anyone ever writing into Premier saying, my heart's really selfish and hard and unforgiving. Could you ask your people to pray that God would soften my heart? Or my church is going through a really bad time. Can you pray? We need to raise up new leaders desperately. Can you pray that God will do that? We just seem to have a different agenda. And so I began a, a sort of slow work through the Gospels. And I, it's in its early days, a slow work through the Gospels. What is it that Jesus wanted us to pray? What is it that Jesus, if you like, these are the things that Jesus has brought to the Father, and the Father has said, of course I will answer. And the answers have begun to surprise me. And I, I just want to share a few of them in the time that we have available, although if I get carried away on any one of them, we may not get any further. I want to talk to you first, then, if you're into Matthew's Gospel, about the first reference to prayer in the New Testament. First references are often important, they're often foundational. The first reference to prayer 
in the New Testament. It also happens to be the first reference of prayer on the lips of Jesus, and it also happens to be the first time that Jesus teaches about prayer, which kind of makes it triply important. And yet, I can't remember on any course I've ever done about prayer that this was taught about particularly. And yet, it's the first thing, and you find it in Matthew 5. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the context is interesting because I'm thinking, yeah, I quite happily pray for those who persecute me. <laughs> yeah, I'll pray for them, all right. But the context is actually not one of praying for judgment. The context is actually about praying for mercy. Praying for kindness. Praying, yes, that God would bring them to repentance. But to pray for their salvation. And this is... I'm not making this up. This is on the lips of Jesus. We're to pray for our enemies. And that's paralleled with love. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, if you like, the praying bit is determined by love. What does it mean to love? Well, you need Whatever it would mean to love people, you need to pray that for them. It also means that if we love people, we will pray for them. But then comes the next bit. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, I've glanced over... I mean, I've read the Bible since I was 18. I don't know how many times I've glanced over that verse. I want to be like Jesus. Gosh, that's one of the whole points of the enterprise, isn't it? To be transformed in, in heart and mind, to become more like the Son of God, to be free from the, the wretched sin in my life, to, to have a heart that's full of joy and peace and love and compassion, and to be Christ-like. And Jesus said, up front, centre, number one, if you want to be sons and daughters of your Father in, Father in heaven, pray for those who persecute you. Let me ask a question, who do you, I mean persecute, I know it's a strong word, but who do you know that you don't get on with? I would tell you who it is for me, but this is being recorded. Um, who is it you don't get on with? Who is it that you can't stand? Who is it that you've fallen out with? Who is it that you know actually really doesn't like you very much and has it in for you? Do you want to reveal your identity as a child of God? Do you want to walk in your identity as God's son or daughter? Then Jesus says, pray for them. Pray for them as if you love them. Pray for their blessing. Pray for their healing. Yes, pray for their repentance. Pray for their eyes to be open. But pray for God to be good to them. And then you begin to realise how much this thing about our attitude to enemies comes up in prayer. Because the next thing we come to is the Lord's Prayer. And you know the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it to you. It's in the next chapter, Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there's a lot in that prayer that Jesus could have commented on. He could have said, well, let, let me just for a moment tell you about the difference between God's kingdom and the Roman kingdom. That would have been interesting. Or, you know, let me tell you what I mean by daily bread. What the th what, what, what's the thinking there? But of all the things that Jesus commented on, he picks out just one. In the next verse, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't want to kind of expound that verse and talk about, well, how does that work with the gospel and forgiveness of sins? I just want to make the other point, which is of all the things Jesus could have commented on, why pick that one? Was it perhaps because he knew the hearts of his disciples that of all the things to pray in that prayer, that was the most difficult? And perhaps also, therefore, it is the most important. Praying for our enemies. In prayer, forgiving those people before God. In prayer, forgiving them before God. It's Palm Sunday. Let's, if you want to come with me to Mark chapter 11. This is a, a reading that often is used during Holy Week because it's one of the events that happens. It, it actually sort of starts on Palm Sunday and has its conclusion the next day. It's the cursing of the fig tree. And you know that in, in the story in Mark's Gospel, Jesus curses the fig tree and they notice him do it. And again, another sermon for another day. Why curse a poor old fig tree? Well, have that ever done wrong and all the rest of it? Well, we'll leave that for another, another day. Uh, but to give you a clue, the fig tree is symbolic of the temple and of Israel because it had all the leaves. But it didn't have the fruit. Anyway, they come back the next day. Peter's eyes almost pop out of his head. Verse 20 in Mark 11. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots and Peter remembered and said Rabbi look the fig tree that you cursed has been withered and Jesus answered them have faith in God truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that he is what he says will has come to pass it will be done for him therefore I tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours Boy, we, I bet we've heard some good sermons on that one. Faith that can move mountains, speaking the word of faith, uh, praying without doubting. I mean, just marvellous stuff, isn't it? But how often we forget that the verse that comes with it. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. That's the audio Bible, isn't it? <laughs> that, I recognise the American voice anywhere. There's the audio Bible. Yes, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it's yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Do you want me to stop for a moment while you get it turned off? I have to say, that is the first time in 16 years I've been interrupted by the Bible being read. I suppose... 
I hope that's God not trying to say, yeah, stop listening to this guy. Just listen to the scriptures. It's a lot better. But again, why add that? Why add that? Jesus, all this stuff about moving mountains and speaking in faith and praying without doubt. And we love that stuff. Oh, Lord, we want more of that. We want to see mountains moved. I could do a thing, couldn't I? Here's a flip chart. Give me the 10 mountains that your church needs to see moved to have a breakthrough. And yet Jesus adds it again. And in the midst of this, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. That your Father may forgive your trespasses. Why? Why put it in there? Could it be, I would suggest this to you to think about, could it be that unforgiveness in our hearts stops the flow of God's grace and power? Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Doesn't mean we're not forgiven in that eternal sense of being his children forever and being with him in glory. But in terms of living out our walk of faith day by day, unforgiveness blocks the flow of his grace and power through our life. Unforgiveness perhaps also blocks the flow of his power through the church. So as a church, I don't, want, I don't Steve hasn't told me anything. I don't know anything about anyone. But do you know, are there relationships within your church where you know there are unforgiveness? It may be that those are a barrier. They're preventing the flow of God's blessing in your church. The very first thing that Jesus teaches about prayer, and he teaches it again and again and again, love your enemies. Forgive them. Forgive them before God. And if you're trying to move mountains, don't try and move mountains without forgiving. And if you want to pray the Lord's Prayer and be faithful in praying and living that prayer, the thing that's most important, most challenging, most difficult, forgive, forgive, forgive. How interesting, the very first thing Jesus teaches, pray for your enemies. Okay, here's the second thing. I'm all right for time? Okay, well, this is the one that I struggle with the most. Uh, In chapter 6, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, again, I don't know how many times I've read this. And, and by the way, this is not a prohibition against public prayer. Right? We know that the early church prayed together in homes and in groups and in the temple. It's not about a prohibition on public prayer. It's about the attitude of the Pharisees, isn't it? About wanting to be seen to pray and make a big thing of it. It's about the attitude of the heart. But I don't think we focus enough on the other part of what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the point. That word that's translated room. In in the Greek of the, the New Testament, that word is used for a very specific room. It was used for the innermost room in the house where there were often no windows. 
It was the safe room. Your house was ever in danger. If you were ever in danger, that's the room that you went to. That was the safe place. It was also the place where you kept all your valuables. Can I tell you what I think Jesus is saying? Forget the Pharisees, they've got it all wrong completely. They think their reward, their riches, comes from the praise of men. But God doesn't want you to be like that. God wants you to go into that innermost room, the room where you're safe, and know that your real safety comes from your relationship with God, who has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never let you go. Jesus is saying, I want you to go into that room where your innermost treasure is and realize that your true treasure in this life and the life to come is not the riches around you or the jewels that you have, but your relationship with your Father who loves you and has forgiven you and has taken you into his family. What David said in the psalm, and I've been reading David's psalms, and he says it again and again. All the things that David goes on about, oh, I've had wonderful victories in battle, and you've done this, and you've done, and you've done the other, and it's great. But the thing he always comes back to, and you can read it for yourself in the psalms, is, but above all of this, you bring me into your presence. You bring me into your presence. How does Psalm 23 say, end? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was where God lived. That's where his presence was. For David, all, his, all the glory of being king, all his riches, all the success, all the fame, all the rest of it. But for David, the biggest and the best and the thing that counted most at the end of the day, God, you bring me into your presence. And that's why God said, he is a man after my own heart. And Jesus is saying here, what's your greatest treasure? What's your greatest security? Don't be like the Pharisees who think it's all about out there in public and they get the fame and the, and the status and the titles. Your security, your greatest treasure is what you have with God. And to my shame, that has not been true of my life for the 16 years that I have pastored here. And if there is one thing that you can pray for me, and the funny thing is, in praying it for me, you'll also be praying it as a blessing on, on Tracy as well, because I have a feeling she would like me to be more godly. I, uh, I don't have any proof of that, it's just a hunch that I have. Um, but the one thing you could pray for me is when I go to Hope Baptist, I want to see the church grow, of course I do. I want to see lost people saved, absolutely I do. But I want to have a heart like David's to say that beyond all of that, whether it happens or it doesn't happen, I want my greatest treasure and my greatest security to be in my relationship with God. For that inner room, that safe room, to be my safe place. And that treasure room to be my treasure. That Lord, whatever befalls me in this life, nothing compares for the glory of your presence or the mercy of your salvation. Now is that true for you? Pray it for me, please.
But is it true for you? Because if, as God makes it true, we will become a people of prayer. Because we'll want to go to our safe place. And we'll want to rejoice in our greatest treasure. And at the end of the day, our greatest treasure is God. I'll very briefly finish with, with just one more and then I'll stop. One of the other things that Jesus prays for, there's another Lord's Prayer in Matthew 10. Another Lord's Prayer. Sorry, it's at the end of Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly of the Lord, to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest field. We often hear a lot, especially post-COVID, church needs more volunteers. And I want to say to you this morning, God is not looking for volunteers. God is looking for workers. You're not volunteering to help out the church. You are enrolling as a worker in the name of Jesus to be involved in working in his harvest field. I was just reflecting when I arrived this morning, John and Joe were doing the welcoming and I, I stuck out my hand as a good Baptist. I stuck out my hand to shake hands with John. And uh, he just enveloped me in a big bear hug, uh, which is nice. And Joe said, hello, it's nice to see you. And how are you doing? And how are you coping? We're not, not kind of being in the church anymore. And I just reflected on that little incident. And I thought, you know, for some people, that hug might be the only time another human being shows them any warmth any compassion. Those words of welcome and encouragement might be for some people the only time someone has said something positive to them all week. And what sometimes just starts off as simple words of grace on our lips become the words of God in somebody else's ear. And that's just serving at the door. See, that's that's not volunteering. That's being a worker in the harvest field. And what about those who teach young people the Bible? What about those who teach children the Bible? What about those who do the behind-the-scenes stuff that means... I used to say to these people at the Baptist church all the time, you just roll up at, at, at 10.30 on a Sunday. Well, most of them roll up at 10.34. Uh, you roll up at 10.30 on a Sunday, and you just think church happens. But there's a whole army who go on behind the scenes with chairs and, and, and sound system and music and, and tea and coffee. And heaven forbid that we, I mean, we were, one week we didn't have tea and coffee for a couple of weeks. And I honestly thought there was going to be civil war in the church. You know, if the, if the pastor preached heresy, well, at least there were some funny stories in it. But we haven't got tea and coffee after the service. That doesn't just happen. We don't ring up Weatherspoons and say, can you bring us around 40 coffees? There's a whole army that make this stuff happen. And it, without it, church doesn't happen. These people are not volunteers. They are workers. Workers in the harvest field, helping to build the church and expand the kingdom. 
So are you praying for workers? Don't pray for volunteers. Pray because a worker's heart is completely different. Pray that God will raise up workers in your church. That you will be known for that. And I said this last time I was here and I will say it again. One of the anointings that I do see of God on the church here is the ability to raise up people. Work with that. Allow God to build on that and expand. It's a precious, precious thing. One of my failures at Herne Bay is I've, I've not been able to raise up people. In fact, one of the things, I'll be honest with you, one of the things that led to me having to leave was the fact that we just, we couldn't get anyone to serve as deacons. And then a small group said, we would be willing to serve as deacons, but not with you as pastor. And I was like, okay, if I wanted a sign from God, that's a pretty good one. Now that hurt. But what really hurts is that for 16 years, I was unable to raise people up. You have that anointing. I see it. I hear it in the stories that Steve tells me. You have that anointing. Work with it. Allow God to build on it. It's a precious thing. And pray, pray that God will raise up more workers. Whatever else people might say about Beacon Church, they'll say, that's a church where God is raising up an army of workers. Because according to Jesus... It's workers that go out into the harvest field and bring in the harvest. Let me stop there and let me just pray for you. Father, I don't really know how to pray with any of this other than to confess my own failure. My own failure to not be a man of prayer. 